you don't get healed of temptation. Right now, if you're if you come to Eastgate very much, you know we're very positive in our presentations, and so I kind of hesitated over this title. You don't, you know, is there anything we don't do here? Well, there's lots of things we don't do, but and there's lots of things we do do, and we do uh, do 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 we do we do. Um, <laughs> We do try to emphasize the positive, but you and I know there's kind of a realm of life that is pressing against that. And uh, despite the fact that we have been born again, that we are saints, put, stick your hand up if you're a saint. One or two of you are not sure. All right, just turn to the person next to you then, just proclaim, you are a saint. It is the most commonly used title for Christians in the New Testament. It's funny, isn't it? We, we, we pride ourselves in knowing our Bibles and knowing our New Testament and reading it regularly, no doubt. How often do you regard yourself as a saint, let alone anybody else? I like to point out to people that in the Catholic definition of the saint, you need at least two miracles subscribed to your name. Most of you surpassed that a little while ago. So if you want to take that category, well, you passed already, because you probably prayed for the sick and seen them healed, at least on a couple of occasions. Right? Who's, who's gone past two already? Yeah. <laughs> God, you're super saints. <laughs> well, without you doing anything, you become a saint, other than being born again. On the day, it's not something you earn, it's something you are. So you're a saint, you're a royal son and daughter of the king, you've been born again, you're a new creation... You're all those things, and yet, you still get tempted. Oh, rats. It's one of those strange ironies, isn't it? In fact, you're probably more aware of temptation now than when you weren't a Christian. Oh, blow. <laughs> Actually, that should encourage you. First encouraging point If you are being tempted at this present moment, say hallelujah with me. Good. (laughs) What? I've been struggling with this and struggling with that, even today. Right, the classic thing for a preacher is to have an argument with his wife before he came out. Well, I didn't do that today. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, because there's something about the attack of the enemy and temptation that is kind of constantly there, isn't it? And because, because you have been born again, because you are now a saint, another word for saint is, or one, another definition for saint is simply holy one. Because you are a holy one, because you are a new creation, there is an enemy that is out to kind of get you. Now, this is not an evening or any evening here where we're going to build up the power of the enemy, but we do want to see with our eyes open, don't we? And looking at the maturity of the crowd here, I'm kind of preaching to the choir. I know that you will have know what I'm talking about when we talk about temptation. Let's take a couple of other encouraging things about in, in, in temptation. I, I, I want you to walk into work on Monday morning and they say, what did you do on, you know, over the weekend, particularly Sunday night? I had a, a, an inspiring talk about temptation. Can we all say that together? I had an inspiring talk about temptation. Why is it so inspiring? Well, <laughs> why is it inspiring? Yeah, why is it inspiring? Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Jesus was tempted. Do you want to be like Jesus? Raise your hands if you'd like to be like Jesus. Hallelujah. 
I want to be like Jesus. Okay, so if you want to be like Jesus, you will be tempted. Here is the sinless son of God. He's never and will never do, never did anything wrong in his life, and yet he is tempted. Hebrews 4, it's verse 13, isn't it? says that he was tempted in a little bit. Certain areas of his life. Every now and again. Periodically. Mondays and Fridays. He was tempted in, somebody said it, Everything. I like the, I think it's the authorized version. It said, in every point or at every point. And it seems to suggest that, you know, Jesus is under attack a lot of the time. Isn't he great when he's under attack? Some of the most profound encounters that Jesus has with the enemy are recorded to us in what we know as the passage of the temptations, aren't we? Right at the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit leads him into the, di- you know, come on Jesus, we're going into the desert so you can be tempted. Interesting thought, isn't it? Bit of a conundrum, bit of a mystery, why that happens. But it should encourage us that you, and not only are you tempted, but if Jesus has been tempted in every way, there is not, say with me, not. I don't think they've ever done that before. <laughs> there is not any temptation that you have experienced so far in your life or will experience in your life that Jesus wasn't tempted with. It kind of stands to reason, doesn't he? If he is this sinless son of God, that he would be tempted in every possible way. That's amazing, isn't it? I've never been in a brothel. Sorry, this is slightly risque reference. (laughs) And yet Jesus mixed, let's just say, Jesus mixed with prostitutes on a regular basis. I mean, if you're a clergyman or a respected member of the average church in the UK, and you were frequenting places like that, the tabloids would have a field day. But no, you know, there's, there's enough of other stuff going around, which they, you know, which I won't mention, which, which would indicate that sort of thing. And yet Jesus was able to sit alongside some of the most disreputable people in society without sin. It's the man who is without sin who says to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Why does Jesus have authority to say that? He has authority to say that because he is the sinless son of God. And yet, he is tempted. He is tempted with a, in, in the sense with greater power and you know, to a greater extent because of who he is as well. So much seems to be hanging in the balance. Even though he is God made man, so much is hanging in the balance in the temptation stories, isn't it? I'll give you all the power, all, uh, you know, the authority, if you bow down to me, Satan says to him. Take the power that is going to transform, heal bodies, multiply bread, calm storms, and turn these stones into bread you've not ate for 40 days. Anybody not ate for 40 days? What do you feel like after two hours? 
Most I ever fasted was 40 days. Boy, I was hungry at the end of it. It's like 40? Did I say 40? No, 20. Actually, but God, I mean, we all know that God sustains you in those times, so there is that kind of thing, isn't it? But I mean, the, the pressure on Jesus. Have you been under pressure with your temptations? Jesus knows how you feel. That's the first encouragement. If it happened to the Son of God, then it happened, you know, then we should be encouraged by that. We are no different. In fact, Paul says this, isn't it? No temptation. This is 2 Corinthians. No temptation, uh, 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So not only has Jesus been tempted with your temptation, there's a load of other people who have been tempted in the same way. This would be fun, wouldn't it? Turn to the person next to you and say, you've been tempted in exactly the same way as I have. <laughs> or maybe. Probably. You know, give yourself a few more years. You'll get there. <laughs> Why? Because the Bible is true. No, tempta- no temptation has taken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not, say with me, will not. He will not, will not let you be tempted Beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's the other, te- that's the other encouragement, isn't it? Not only that Jesus has been tempted. Not only that you have been tempted like everybody else. But actually God provides a way out for you every time. Now sometimes we're good at finding that way out and sometimes we're not, are we? Probably the value of this evening is that maybe you'll just go, you know... I like self-examination. Do you like self-examination? I like it for about 30 seconds. (laughs) I have developed a habit. Now, it's not that I don't think about my life. I do. I'm not trying to be flippant. But I have, I remember starting to pray the end of Psalm 139. Does everybody know the end of Psalm 139? Raise your hand if you know the last two verses. Right? Right? If it's not your favorite psalm, it should be. I don't want to force you anything. It's all freedom here. You can do what you like. But <laughs> I do recommend Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord. Great prayer, isn't it? Search me, O Lord. And see if there's any, you know, uh, a- any sin in me, any thing. This is paraphrasing it a little bit. <laughs> you know, and, or any anxiety. Like, it's, it's interesting that the, the, the prayer gets you to look at Things that might be wrong, sins if you like, but also anxieties. Those are our twin temptations, aren't they? The things we know that are clearly wrong, that break the commandments, and the other things we're just anxious about. What is the Bible? This is a tough word, isn't it? Be anxious about nothing. But in everything, you know, pray and, you know, with prayer and supplication, you know the verse in Philippians 4. Probably the majority, you could put the majority of temptations under those two headings. But the promise for us is there is always, there is always a way out. Now, some of our problem with tackling temptation isn't that we don't know that stuff, but we don't know often the broad context in which we should behave. Right? Many of us grow up with a kind of Christianity which is full of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And I won't really rehearse with you. There are many things, you know, according to the Bible and according to the Christian way of life that you're not supposed to do. Amen? 
Amen for all the things we're not supposed to do. Can I hear an amen for that? Come on. Because <laughs> actually there is an equal and greater list of all the things that we can enter into. And what God has done is guarded us against the wrong ways of doing in order that not, not that we should simply be crushed, oppressed, uh, just given into tradition or, you know, or just hard work. I don't think, I mean, it's not always easy, but it's not just supposed to be hard work. But actually God has projected us in by his Holy Spirit into fullness of life, isn't he? Our tendency, however, is to be good legalists. Despite all our teaching about abundant life and royalty and a sense of identity and being full of the Holy Spirit, we tend towards, well, particularly certain areas and probably the the kind of areas you get most temptation in, you begin to see them in, let me put it like this, as if you were still under law. Ooh, no, I'm not supposed to do that. Ooh, no, I'm not supposed to do that. Ooh. You know, there's, there's a way in which the kind of your temptation works and the law is kind of still there. Now the law is good. Ten commandments, they're good, aren't they? Is everybody keeping them? <laughs> and there was a very funny program during the week. Uh, did anybody see it? The drama where they, they were, they played around with the idea there was twelve. And one guy, one guy said, was told there were ten. He said, oh great, two I don't have to keep. Uh, I'll rehearse that one. I could do that better. (laughs) But I hadn't practiced it. How we see the commands of God and the context that we see the commands of God is very, very important. And when you look at Proverbs 4, 5, 6 and 7, you see a lot around temptation. Now, particularly around sexual temptation. I am staggered, to be quite honest, about how blatant the Bible is. You ever felt that? Well, if you haven't felt that, you need to read Proverbs 4, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, each chapter has a warning about adultery and sexual temptation. Each chapter. In fact, the whole of chapter 7. Shall we have a look at it? The whole of the chapter 7. Have you read it, read it recently? I've got, I mean, <laughs> if you want a good version to read this in, read it in the Passion Version. <laughs> I thought that was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Proverbs 7. Stick close to my instruction, my son, and follow all my advice. And if you do what I say, you will live well. Guard your life with my revelation truth. For my teaching is as precious as your eyesight. Treasure my instructions and cherish them within your heart. Say to wisdom, I love you. Can you imagine wisdom? Just say, say, I love you. And to understanding, you are my sweetheart. It's a great version, isn't it? <laughs> you said that. Have you, have you said that? You know, wisdom is my sweetheart. You might try that with your sweetheart. You know, you know, put it in reverse, but probably won't work. May the two of you protect me, and may we never be apart. For they keep you from the adulteress with her smooth words meant to seduce your heart. Looking out of the window of my house one day, I noticed among the mindless crowd a simple, naive young man who was about to go astray. There he was walking down the street. Then he turned the corner, going on his way as he hurried on to the house of the harlot, the woman he had planned to meet. There he was in the twilight as darkness fell, convinced no one was watching. And as he entered the black shadows of hell, that's when their rendezvous began. 
a woman of the night appeared, dressed to kill the strength of any man. She was decked out as a harlot, pursuing her amorous plan. Her voice was seductive, rebellious and boisterous, as she wandered far from what was right. Her type can be found soliciting on street corners on just about any night. How Brian Simmons got that to rhyme, I will never know. So we wrapped her arms around the senseless young man and held him tight. She enticed him with kisses which seemed so right. And then with insolence she whispered in his ear, Come with me, it will be all right. I've got everything we need for a feast. I'll cook you a wonderful dinner. So here I am, I'm yours. You're the very one I've looked for. The one I knew I wanted from the moment I saw you. That's why I've come out here tonight, so I could meet a man just like you. I've spread my canopy bed with coverings. Lovely, multicolored Egyptian linens spread and ready for you to lie down on. I've sprinkled the sheets with intoxicating perfume made from myrrh, aloes, and sweet cinnamon. Come, let's get comfortable and take pleasure in each other and make love all night. There's no one home for my husband's, there's no one home for my husband's away on business. He left home loaded with money to spend, so don't worry. He won't be back until another month ends. He was swayed, he was swayed by her sophistication, enticed by her longing embrace. She led him down the wayward path right into sin and disgrace. So quickly he went astray with no clue where he was uh, truly headed, taken like a dumb ox alongside of the butcher. She was like a venomous snake coiled to strike, so she set her fangs into him. He's like a man about to be executed with an arrow right through his heart, like a bird that flies into the net, unaware of what's about to happen. So listen to me, you young men. You better take my words seriously. Control your sexual urges and guard your hearts from lust. Don't let your passions get out of hand and don't look your eyes into a beautiful woman. Why would you want to get close to temptation and seduction to have an affair with her? She has pierced the souls of multitudes of men. Many mighty ones have fallen and have been brought down by her. If you're looking for the road to hell, just go looking for her house. Amazing flight of imagination, isn't it? And yet it's so true, sadly, so true for that time. And dare I say, you know, even more so today. I haven't got time to read you. I, I actually brought the Times on Saturday and I brought it again on Sunday. The front page was a defense of promiscuity. You might, if you go on Times online, you can kind of read it. There was another article recommending adultery, although if you read between the lines, adultery is good if, you're bad, if your marriage is going badly. It's not so good if your marriage is going well. There's an irony. And I guess you could argue, well, you know, you can read what you, what you like into articles like that, but they are endemic in our society, isn't it? And sadly, sexual temptation is pretty rife by most surveys in the church and pretty rife amongst church leaders. I read one statistic recently that 50% of church leaders regularly go on the internet on the porn sites. That is a terrible thing to contemplate, isn't it? Let's hope that statistic is exaggerated. Let's hope, but even if it was only half true, that would be bad, isn't it? All the more so, I don't want to worry you or undermine your confidence, you know, by all I've said so far, I hope you have confidence in Jesus, that there's a way of overcoming temptation. Whether it's sexual temptation or temptation towards anxiety or temptation about anything, really. 
Here's three key things, which I think the book of Proverbs, and if you, you know, we can't read four chapters, that'll be half the sermon, and uh, I wouldn't be able to get through it this evening, but I do recommend, just go through that. Here's your key to overcome, one of your keys to overcoming temptation. In fact, why don't you find it in, in your Bible at the moment? It's referenced in, I think it's chapter four, it may be chapter three, let me just check. Chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Okay? Proverbs, uh, in fact, let me, let me just read a few verses I was going to read earlier. But um, if you want to get wisdom, if this subject is set in the context of wisdom, then in the earlier part of chapter 4, it simply says this. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve through them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have. Think of all your worldly goods. Your house, your, let's say your chattels. That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Your money, everything you have. Right? If it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Your passion is to fall in love with wisdom. Now, wisdom is almost synonymous with Jesus, so you're falling in love with Jesus if you're falling in love with wisdom. You need to have a love relationship with what's wise. Billy Graham was once asked, what keeps you spiritually kind of on top, you know, spiritually kind of bright? And I, wish I, I actually heard him say this at the Keswick Convention many years ago. He said, I read five Psalms a day and one chapter of Proverbs. And I, I've gone through phrases in my devotional life where I've kept coming back to that practice. That's partly why we're looking at this today, because I kind of revived it again. What's Proverbs, you know... Psalms will do all sorts of things for, for you in terms of your relationship with God and understanding what's going on around you. Proverbs will just drench you in wisdom. And so our key to finding the context in how we deal with temptation, particularly sexual temptation, isn't just the thou shalt not do it. In fact, if we bang up against that, We'll just find it hard. The more you try not to do something, just simply not to do it, the harder it becomes, isn't it? That's what the law is designed to do. It actually is to amplify sin. And it's only by believing in Jesus and coming to the power of the Holy Spirit that you can actually overcome it. But you need wisdom. And James says in one, chapter 1, verse 5, if you lack wisdom, ask for it, isn't he? And God is generous doesn't find fault. He will give you all the wisdom you need. Here's wisdom. In chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Can we say that together? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Why don't you put your hand on your heart and say it? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your key to handling any temptation is not the temptation itself. It's not focusing on that. It's actually focusing on your relationship with God. It's what we talk a lot about here. It's about intimacy with the Father. 
In fact, the way to overcome temptation is not to look at the temptation anymore. It's actually to be looking into the face of Jesus. Because often a temptation to do something wrong is actually an attempt to fulfill a gap that's either remain, you know, you know, not filled up in your life or maybe just for a while has been ignored. If wisdom is to be your sweetheart and your lover, then you, you don't get, you know, the only way you develop that is to have time with your sweetheart, with your lover. And to let that, you know, if, you, if, if the love of God is not penetrated, every aspect of your being, you're going to struggle to overcome temptation. I saw a very telling interview with a, a, a girl, a young girl, a very promiscuous girl on the television the other evening. She was describing, you know, serial relationships she'd had, had with people. What was interesting, as she was being interviewed, she referenced one of the very first relationships she had, which was, which because the interviewer said, well, have you never had, you know, a relationship that's lasted more than a, a day or a week? She said, yeah, when I first had a relationship with a, with a boy, that lasted for a couple of years. And then he dumped her. So ever since then, she's been afraid of intimacy. And people's sexual promiscuity is one of the keys to understanding that and why it is, is actually the lack of intimacy that people are having in their lives. They're always looking for it and never finding it. And that's both male and female, although they come, you know, as you know, their sexuality comes, or they come at sexual things in, a, in, a, in different ways. But the heart of it, what people are looking for in a society that is sex, as is sex, sex, sexually promiscuous as ours, is actually the very thing that Jesus came to give us, an intimacy of relationship. There is an article in the Times, which I'll, I will read to you, um, which interestingly comes from the Royal Divorce Lawyer. I didn't know such a thing existed. The Prince of Wales' divorce lawyer has endorsed a study that identifies ten questions you should ask your lover to ensure a lasting relationship. Do you ever read these sort of articles? Yeah. <laughs> it's in the Times. It should be fairly respectable. <coughs> and uh, Anyway... So what's the checklist? Now, here's an interesting checklist. These are the ten things that you look for in a good relationship. Are my partner and I a good fit? Do we have a strong basis of friendship? Do we want the same things in our relationship and out of life? Are our expectations realistic? Do we generally see the best in each other? Do we work at keeping our relationship vibrant? Do we both feel we can discuss things freely and raise issues with each other? Are we both committed to working through the hard times? When we face stressful circumstances, would we pull together to get through it? Do we each have supportive others around us? Interesting, isn't it? What's missing? A vibrant sexual relationship. No, it's not in there. It's not that they're not writing about it, but the key to relationship is relationship. All the things you've got here. I mean, thinking the best of one another. Culture of honor. 
you know, talking to one another, understanding one another. This therefore applies both to your relationship with God. It also applies, of course, to your relationship with other people. So actually, the, the key to overcoming temptation, again, isn't to focus on the temptation. It's actually to focus on the opposite. Father, fill whatever. If there's a void in my life, fill it. If there's a lack of intimacy in my life, fill it. Because I want to live. You see, God designed you. This is what the world, in a sense, has got right. That God designed you to have a passionate life. If you haven't got a passionate life, you can't look at your life and think, boy, I get excited. Doesn't matter what it is. Well, you know, within reason. But, but do you live a passionate life? If there's no passion going on in your life, and I don't, you know, and this is about relationships. It's certainly about God. It could be about your hobbies. could be about all manner of things. But is there life in you? If there's not life in you, then ask God to give you that life. Because that, that's your inheritance as a saint in God. Jesus came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. No wonder the devil doesn't have a chance. No wonder you can overcome temptation because you're living an abundant life. How did Jesus overcome temptation? How did he live a life like he led? Why? Because he's the son of God and he has intimacy with the father. What did the devil test him most on in the desert? If you are the son of God. He tested his identity, didn't he? He tried to undermine his identity. And you have been called into this intimate relationship with the father. That's your key to overcome temptation. Your other key is to have a good relationship with yourself. Just say hello to yourself for a moment, just in case you're ignoring yourself. Hello, self. How are you doing? One of the, asp- one of the prophetic aspects of our life here at Eastgate and in many other churches is that we have suddenly discovered... That we have permission to think about ourselves. Oh, come on. Hallelujah. How many, how many years was I told not to think about myself? Don't go there. Give glory to God. Don't go there. You know, you're a worm. You're unworthy. You don't deserve it. You know, God's only using you because you couldn't find somebody else better. You know. <laughs> All the women go off to be missionaries because the men don't, you know. That's another aspect. Well, it's like a sort of subject. You see what I mean? Now, we're not talking about being selfish, but we are saying, well, God, do you know, I want to be friendly towards myself. You see, some of the reason why people end up in temptation and, and, and particularly sexual temptation is a disgust about themselves, particularly about their bodies. Now, here's a verse for you. 1 Corinthians 6, you are, just say to your body, look at me, look at this wonderful, you say this, but I'm, I'm saying it to me, not for you to, to look in on, excuse me, I'm talking to myself, just get into a quiet little space, I, say with me, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. God has chosen to live in me. Not only am I saint, not only am I royal son of daughter of the king, not only am I son of God, I'm, I'm the blooming temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jewish history, God came in the temple. 
Only the high priest once a year could go into the very holy of holies. Jesus died on the cross. And as he rose again, as he died and rose again from the dead, the temple of the inner courts was split in two. As a symbol that now you can all go in to the holy of holies. I have made you holy, God says. You are the holy temple. Boy, I love my body. Well, God loves it. God is passionate about your body. He is so passionate. He bought it. He bought you. You have been bought by the death of Christ. He laid down the precious gift of his son. He didn't have a million dollars. He didn't have a trillion dollars. He had something much more powerful than that. He bought you. Out of captivity, out of darkness, out of sin, into his glorious light and life, goodness and hope and glory. You are glorious. Say that to you. Don't ignore the people next to you. They're going to get blessed. I am glorious. You have an intimate relationship with the Father. You have a precious relationship with yourself. You're made for life. You see, this is why it's possible to live a gloriously happy single life. If this is heresy, please forgive me. Um, I don't think it is, but you know, like, so we all want to be like Jesus. We all want to be single. If you're married, that's a bit tough. <laughs> Jesus, when, you see, when God wanted to demonstrate, I mean, I'm passionate about this, even though I'm not single. But it's God's word, so I'm passionate about it. Uh, you know, he, when God wanted to display his glory in human flesh, interesting, the first heresy is a denial that Jesus came in the flesh. You read it in 1 John. That's the first heresy that we're aware of in the New Testament. And Paul, uh, John writes his letter to, to counter that, that people were denying that Jesus came. It's so important, isn't it? So when God wanted to reveal who he was, he revealed himself as a man who was single. And in heaven we'll all be married to him. Oh, glorious. God is passionate about you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you have this amazing strength. The devil, oh, come on. Temptation, come on. Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there, there are periods of life where it's a struggle, isn't it? I don't think, actually, Jesus was under so intense temptation as he was in the wilderness. I think it probably came and, and went for him. We don't have a lot of detail about that. It's kind of encouraging when you new, read, read the New Testament. It's very realistic about the enemy, but he doesn't feature a lot, does he? And when he does, it's usually being got rid of. Cast out of. So the New Testament has this wholly positive aspect. So, keys to the temptation, intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with self, and then relationship with others. Well, how does that work? Well, you were born for community, weren't you? One of the reasons why David fell into that awful, temp, uh, awful trap of adultery with Bathsheba is that he was just bored. 
It says in uh, Kings, Kings or Samuel? I can't remember. Who remembers? Samuel? Yeah, I think it's Samuel, isn't it? Thank you, Pete. <laughs> Rescued me there. He should have been out in the battle. Instead, he was at home wondering what to do. And then just looked down, let his eyes take control of him. And, you know, the rest you'll know the story if you want to read it. Living in relationship with people is so important, isn't it? That you are caught up in the life of, whether it's the church or your work or your friends. Let's put it, let's put it practically. So you don't have time for temptation. You don't get bored. You don't wander around just letting yourself go to the places where you feel you shouldn't go to. I will end with a story. A newly married sailor was informed by the Navy that he was going to be stationed for a year a long way from home on a remote island in the Pacific. A few days after he got there, he really, he really began to miss his new wife, so he wrote her a letter. My love, he wrote. We are going to be, part, be apart for a very long time. Already I'm starting to miss you, and there's, no much, uh, sorry, there's not much to do here in the evenings. Besides that, we're constantly surrounded by young, attractive native girls. Do you think I, if I had a hobby of some kind, I would not be tempted? So his wife sent back a harmonica. <laughs> saying, why don't you learn to play this? Eventually his tour of duty came to an end and he rushed back to his wife. Darling, he said, I can't wait to see you for a cuddle. She kissed him and then said, first, let's hear you play that harmonica. I think I heard somebody back say, I can see where this is going. <laughs> Let's just stand and pray, shall we? <coughs> Never done an appeal of a, of a funny story, but here goes. <laughs> okay, well, let's just, uh, let's just, um, what, I, what I didn't say about that prayer in, one, in Psalm 139 is it's a great prayer to pray, but it's not a great prayer to stay on notice the alliteration but in Psalm 139 let's just read it and make this your prayer let's say it together search me O God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now let, just let the Holy Spirit bring to mind anything that is either offensive to him or some way where you've been going where you think, you know, that just makes my life difficult in the area of temptation. Let the Holy Spirit reveal the situation or the names or the people involved. Or just an area you go to. It could be the area of your imagination. Not that the imagination is wrong. It's just that it can be open to good and, and bad alike. But just let Holy Spirit speak to you.
And just say, if you need to say it, Lord, I'll pray the prayer and you can just kind of join in in your mind. Father, thank you that you love to be in me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, (laughs) right in me. And Lord, you've dedicated me to walk in holiness and grace and love, mercy and justice. So, Father, whatever you've revealed to me, and here you go, if you need to just ask God for his forgiveness, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, doesn't it? Just receive his forgiveness afresh. And again, say with me in your mind, Father, I thank you that you have forgiven me. You have cleansed me and you restore me to the standard. You restore me to righteousness. You see, your righteousness never disappeared. Christ's righteousness can't be removed from you. You could stray away a bit, but it's always there because it's been put there forever. And God just wants you to come up to that standard again. He's just restoring you to a clear conscience and perfect righteousness in his sight. And he's pouring his love and his power into you to overcome temptation, to live gloriously, to live in intimacy, to live in intimacy with God, with yourself and with others. And that's a strong place to be. That is a very, very strong place to be. It's a tender place to be. It's a place for lovers, lovers of God and lovers of others. But it's a strong place to be. So, Father, we just release that strength into us. That, Father, you would help us to walk faithfully before you in the power and the glory of your, of your name and in the power and glory of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.